Let's read Genesis 11, verse 1. Now the whole world, the whole earth, had one language and the same words. And as many people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord God came to see the city and the tower which the children of men had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have all one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language, so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from over the face of all the earth. And they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there, the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. Everybody has the same favorite subject. Do you know what the universal favorite subject is? Me. Everybody loves to talk about themselves. Actually, when you, if you ever like read those like books of how to win friends and influence people or be like super successful, um, they tell you that one of the tricks is just talk about the person you're talking with because everybody loves to talk about themselves. And they say that interesting people are people who act like you are interesting. So when people talk about me and talk about my life and my interests, I walk away saying, that's a pretty cool chap. Not even realizing I learned not one thing about them. But I told them all about me. Uh, We love to talk about ourselves. We're our own favorite subject. In 2012, researchers did this experiment in which they looked up almost 800,000 books that were published in America between the years 1960 and 2007. And when they, what they were doing with this research was they were looking at the use of pronouns in these books and to see how they would evolve over time. Well, the results showed us that the first person plural That's the we, the us. That's a first-person plural. Over the course of those years, the use of the first-person plural we and us decreased, while the first-person singular increased almost 50%. So there was a decline in we and us and an increase in me and I. Also, quadrupling, that's 300% increase, was the second person singular, you, in other words. That word, you. 
And that one was interesting because what happens is we get in the other cases where the shift became not just us corporately, but it became about me, the author who's writing. I, my opinion, what I have to say. It's all <laughs> me-centered. Um, but then when it also showed the increase in the you, that whole polariza- polarizing effect showed that there's two parties in the writing. It's not just an author and us. It's a me and you. And so there's this concept that where the research showed us that what is happening in America from the 60s on to the present is that there's an increasing sense of individualism. That we all want to put ourselves at the center of our own narrative. Which also is a good thing for the writers are a good method they're doing by saying you a lot as it also turns the table and makes you as the reader feel like you're the center of their universe while they're really using a lot of I and me as well. <laughs> um, we love to talk about ourselves. And it, just, it shows even in books that are being published. So there's this language that we are born speaking. We don't have to be taught it. We don't have to learn it. It's the language of ego. The, langu- the language of self. We learn from a very early age that we need to grow up. And I don't mean just mature, but to grow ourselves upward, to build ourselves in the esteem of others, in our own esteem. That life really depends, my survival depends on me getting higher and bigger and stronger and taller and more respected. And so the language of ego comes very naturally for us. We know how to speak what we want and what we need. We know how to spin a story to make it look far more interesting than it really was in real life. We know how to talk about our strengths. We know how to interject what we did well when in the middle of a conversation that was actually about someone else and not you. We know how to do these things. We have to be taught to be interested in other people. So here we are in our passage, and we see this development, this universal language of ego. It says, all the world spoke one language. And we don't really know what that language was, for certain. But I know what it is still today. It's still about us. Or should I say me, myself, and I, the trinity of Brandon's godhead. Sounds horrible to say out loud. Okay. So let's catch up here, shall we? Uh, We have seen creation, Genesis chapters 1 and 2. God has a plan. He sets up this world. He's the king of it. And he puts the humans there because he wants them to be his representatives to the creation, ruling it on his behalf and and cultivating its potential, just, just making it grow and be beautiful so that it praises God back. But then in chapter 3, we find that the creation enters into decreation. It gets dismantled. It gets demolished. These humans who are supposed to be furthering God's creation actually begin to break it down and to ruin it. They 
decreate it. So they not only rebel against the king and say, well, yeah, it was nice working with you, but we're actually going to work on ourselves now. Is that okay? And so they begin to work on their own. They begin to rule the earth as their own kings without the power of God. And so we see Adam and Eve's children. Well, one kid, Cain, kills the other kid, Abel. Just normal family affairs, you know? And so murder's happening, and then we go down the line. We follow Cain's family, gets even grosser and grosser, and there's no God mentioned. Adam and Eve have another son, Seth, and his family eventually begins to worship God. And we see that they begin to serve God. Noah comes out of that family. And so God says, you know what? This world is so corrupt that now these these sons of God... Remember, we didn't really settle on who they are, but they're having these unnatural uh, sexual relations with the daughters of men, and the Nephilim, translation giants, are being born. The great heroes of old, it says. All we are left with is seeing that God is very displeased with these relationships. So Adam and Eve have this individual sin, and then it turns into this corporate fall. The entire world is going into this thing that God says cannot stand. So it's so decreated that God chooses to flush it out as if washing a stain out of your clothes. <laughs> Just washes off the earth, the creation. And then we see the waters recede, just like they did in Genesis 1, and we see a new creation emerging. So now the creation is reset. Noah comes off the ark as a new Adam. God once again tells him like he told Adam, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. He also talked about him being made in his image. So it's reset. They go out. Noah has a personal sin. He drinks uh, from the grapevine that fermented wine. He gets drunk. He's passed out naked. So we see the fall happens again, just like Adam and Eve, in a garden, in a vineyard, from a fruit, from a fruit. Um, Adam and Eve realize they're naked. Noah passes out naked. Uh, God covers Adam and Eve. Uh, two of Noah's shems cover him. It's the same narrative being told again. And so Noah does what Adam does. Then it goes forward to our passage tonight. And like how Adam's sin led to this corporate sin where the world's having this unlawful sexual relation, um, well, now we see a corporate sin coming out of Noah where all of the world is getting together to make this tower that God is apparently displeased with. So once again, we're culminating the sin of man is coming to a head. And next week, we're going to see the shift, the big turn. God's going to have a solution next week. But we have to get very dark first. So that's where we are. We've seen creation, and we're in the midst of decreation. Okay, so to our text. Verse 1, the whole earth had one language in the same words. And when I read that, it it just hit me so strong. Like, well, that sounds like unity. They're all talking the same language. They seem on the same boat with one another. It seems like things should go really well. And we look at Christendom. And we say, why can't we all speak the same language? Why can't we all believe the same things or do things the same way? And there are pockets of people who have narratives up here that want to see all of the churches just get together and have one mega church, like, like as if that will finally make it look like we all get along or something, uh, like one mega church. But what I, what I began to think through is unity is not being the same. Unity is not being the same. 
Just because we dress the same or speak the same or think the same, that is not unity. Just because we have the same church service or the same pastor, that is not unity. Unity is not being the same, but it's having one aim. It's a difference. That we all have the same mind, the mind of Christ. That we're all going for the same goal, the same aim. That's what unity looks like. So you could have all kinds of expressions of that one aim, but we're all going to that one aim. Well, wait a minute. Here the builders of this tower have the same aim. Let us make for ourselves this tower who reaches the heavens. It sounds like the same aim. They're all getting together. They have one aim. And I would say, yes, however, we learn later that this is just a facade. The tower is a facade for the true aim in their hearts. What they all really want is to exalt themselves. It's a story about I and me and myself and building myself up. Because if they really had the same aim that was not themselves, they would not have divided by the end. When we all mask the same aim, like, oh, I'm all for the gospel, I'm all for Jesus. But really, it's our ego that we're speaking, that's our language. It might look like on the surface we're doing the same thing together, but eventually, there are as many directions for the ego as there are egos. Everyone's ego is going in a different direction, and it cannot let you go in my direction, because that's my direction. We therefore can never, in speaking the language of ego, we can never go with one aim. We could look the same, but we can't go with one aim. And that's what we see in these builders. There's an apparent unity. And and up here, there's since I've been in high school, there's just been this talk up here about the churches being unified. I'm not really sure what people are looking for. Do they want us, do we want to look the same? Because really, it, we, all we should be going for is that we have the same aim and all of us are putting our egos aside. That's the answer. It isn't super events or anything like that that's going to fix things. It's the human heart that wants to erect an ugly tower of self. That's the problem. And until we learn another language, we're going to keep building upward to make self higher and taller Let's look at these builders and their motives. So uh, there's very, I don't know if you caught it when I'm reading, but there's this repetition of come, let us. The builders say it three times. God says it once, almost. You can almost sense the the irony in the story. It's like God's mocking them like, oh, come let us too, (laughs) Um, if you don't mind. So in verse three, we see, they said to one another, come, let us, that's the first, make bricks, burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone, bitumen for mortar. Verse four, the second one, they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And third, let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. Come, let us. Come, let us. Come, let us. Where have you heard this before? Before all of that, in Genesis 1.26, and God said, come, let us. 
make. Man in our image, after our likeness. Here we have, within the same flow, the same story from the same author, an intentional echo, where now the humans are speaking God talk. And they're saying, come, let us make. But this time it's not man in our image. It's quite the opposite. Here's what I mean. This tower that they're building... Archaeology has shown that it was a normal thing in pagan societies to build these towers. What these towers were, the, the, trans, the, the thought of a tower is a little misleading because we think of like medieval towers, like these big stone columns or archers are up on top, right? That's not quite the picture. Rather, what's on the screen behind me is more of the idea of a tower. And archaeology shows that these existed. So it's very likely that this is what it is. What this tower is called is a ziggurat. And a ziggurat was a pyramid in which steps went on each side up and down. They're these, they look like sophisticated structures because they are these big mounds, these big pyramids, which steps go up and they look like these big structures, but actually inside is nothing. There's absolutely nothing to the structure except the steps. The whole thing exists for the steps. Now, the point of the steps was to reach heaven. They didn't literally think, oh, we're going to build it till we find God up there somewhere. That wasn't the silly idea. They were just simply building a structure so that their God or gods, whom they're building it for, would see the ziggurat and would come down the steps into the temple. So associated with the ziggurat, around it would be temples. And the point of the structure was to bring the deity down into their temple so that the deity could come visit them, grace them with his presence, and bless the city. Now, to really make sure that they got on his good side, at the very top, yes, you can see a top there, um, there was a, a, a room in which was put a bed and a table with food on it. Fresh food every day. That the priests would make sure they, you know, Clean linens, fresh food, make sure the coffee's hot. He doesn't like cold coffee. So that when the God did come down, he could refresh himself and rest himself before entering into the city. So we see that these parallels are happening, that they want to make something in this tower, and they say, whose top is in the heavens. That's the goal, is that they're trying to bring their deity down via this tower. So what's happening here is it's not like, oh, God doesn't want you to build things. Shame on you, LA, for all your city structures. It's not the point. The point is that this is a pagan structure meant to worship other deities. Further, and I don't know if you've caught this yet, God said, come let us make man in our image. Man is made in God's image. Here they say, come, let us make this tower. And what's the goal of it? It's to bring God down to humans. What's happening? They're essentially saying, come, let us make God in man's image. They're flipping the script. And they have this project. And they're saying, God, come, 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 bless what we're doing. Look what we're doing. Come and bless it. The whole thing's being shifted. God is no longer the king who's using us as his underkings and saying, all right, go do this for me. We're now doing this thing and we're saying, God, come and bless it for us. 
And unfortunately, we haven't learned our lesson thousands of years ago. I don't mean to offend anyone, but it's right in front of us when we say, God bless America. God, we've got this really cool nation. Don't know if you noticed. Come and bless it. Granted, the beginnings, we believed that we were God's light to the world and understood where the saying came from. But today, the mentality in our nation, we still put on our coins, is, yeah, we've got a mess sometimes. We've got some good things going too. God, you come and fix this. God, you come and bless this. Shouldn't we be blessing God? I mean, isn't that the idea? And yet, that's just on a national level. What about in your life? How many times have you done, the, you've been the initiator of an idea, and then he said, I'm going to do it. God bless it, please. Without the patient seeking and prayer of God, is this what you want us to do? We're very quick to build our own ziggurats, our own towers, and our efforts to bring God down to us. And God's saying, you could just see the, the silliness of it is God, like, I've been around the whole time. You never actually had to bring me down anywhere. I'm just waiting for you to open yourself up to what I'm already leading and working in your life. Also interesting is their motivation here, if you see it at the end of verse 4. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. Well, we've read this enough times to know why this is wrong. God told Adam, Genesis 1.28, Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, and have dominion. Well... Noah gets off the ark, and he repeats to Noah the same commission, not once, but twice. Noah, be fruitful and fill the earth. And then we see this passage and say, let's not fill the earth. Let's gather together and build upward. Not outward, but upward. Let's make ourselves greater, stronger, more powerful. Let's make this thing so tall that the gods have to be impressed, have to bless us, and that the rest of the nomadic tribes out there will come and say, we want to live with you guys so that we can gain more people. We can be attractional and very entertaining to the rest of the people. And we can grow that way. Sounds like... <clears throat> Well, it sounds like some um, ideas in our nation, indeed. Um, when the church makes it their number one aim to grow bigger and more impressive, we're following in the footsteps of the Tower of Babel. It shouldn't surprise us that culture does this. Corporate America is very into building ourselves upward and get your customers to come to you, give them a product, great customer service, and make them feel good for coming too. 
And then you realize, mm, some of our idea of evangelism is no different. Give them a product, great customer service, prayer team, <clears throat> um, make them feel good, really good music, really funny speaker. Evangelism is a good thing, but sometimes I have to step back and wonder, are we copying America or are we copying the ways of the Lord? And what is it looking like in the rest of our lives? Well, the story reaches its climax when, in verse 6, God, I thought God was calling me for a second. Um, When in verse 6, God humors them. I love this. I love this. God's not like looking at this little tower and saying, that's beneath me. He actually uses the thing. Watch this. In verse 6. And the Lord said, behold, they are one. They'll do whatever they want. So verse 7. Come, let us. There's ironic mockery. (laughs) Come, let us. Go down. What's the point of the tower? It's to bring the gods down to earth. What does God say? Look at that thing. Let's use it. Let's go down. Let's give them what they, more than they bargained for. So God does. He entertains them. He says, I'm going to come down and use it just like you wanted me to. So God comes down and came down to confuse their language so that they no longer understood each other's speech. Uh, I read that. Not as if he's talking, sorry. Um, so he, he came down and he confused their speech. <laughs> I love this. I love this, this twist in the story. It's, it's like you're expecting, yes, they're doing this thing. They're going to be successful. And then the God does come down and they got not at all what they thought they were going to get. Come bless us. He's like, I'll come down. And he's like, <laughs> and they're all scattered now. And the whole project's left alone because they're now scattered. They're doing exactly what they tried not to do. Let's not be scattered. Let's make a name for ourselves. And rather than building this thing up higher and higher, it stops and they have to scatter because they can't even stand each other by the end of things. (laughs) I did what you wanted, God says. (laughs) The lesson there is not um, to worry, like to be super careful about your prayer life because God might actually grant you what you're asking for. That's... uh, That's not at all what you're supposed to take away from this. It's more like when you are a bozo and you're trying to prevent something from happening in your life and you're doing everything you can except the way God gave you to do it, probably it's going to come upon you, the very thing you're trying to avoid. So don't fear like if you're praying, God, I want to be used by you, then God's going to send you to the worst place possible that you never wanted to be a part of. Like, God, I want to be used by you. And then he's like, okay, great, public speaking. You're like, no, that's the one thing I would rather die than do. That's not the way God works. It's not how he works. So don't worry about that. Like God's going to like ironically do this twist on you. Like, oh, you asked for it. No, these guys were avoiding God all the way. So he confuses their speech. God comes down. He confuses their speech. Brothers and sisters, the language of ego, the prioritizing of I and me and my, will always confuse the people. It will confuse you. It will confuse the people around you. And I don't just mean like when you talk about yourself, everyone has no idea what you're talking about. If you're building up your tower pretty well, they see it, all right. Yep, I know. You don't have to tell me. You're awesome. I see it. 
no, they're more confused because life suddenly becomes aimless. Because we all have our own individual agendas, and there's absolutely no collaboration. That's what happens here. Are they dispersed because of their ego, or are they dispersed because God comes in and disperses them? Personally, I don't see it as that much of an either-or. I think this is how God works. God allows human error to go to its folly. And so he comes down and he lets their egos bring disaster upon themselves. So at the end, we get the point of the story. Therefore, verse 9, its name was called, we're used to saying Babel, but in Hebrew it would be Babel. And here's why. Uh, Babel means the gate of the gods. So Elohim would be God. Uh, El is just a shortened form for God. So uh, Babel is the gate of God or the gate of the gods. So when Babylon is established later in the Bible, of course, it's like the, the hottest, biggest thing on the earth at that time. And it was, the, you know, it was its own tower in a sense. And Moses is writing to prepare Israel for the times when other nations seem bigger and better than Israel, that the ways of the world seem more inspiring or more entertaining than the ways of God. He's warning them beforehand that those ways actually lead to confusion. They don't actually make life any better. It might be on the surface for a time, but it always ends up with confusion and scattering and chaos. So there's a play on words here. Babel means the gate of God. But the Hebrew word for confuse is balal. Sounds very close to Babel. Balal is confusion. So what happens here is the writer is redefining what Babel means. And he's saying, when you think of that cool hit place I want to join that is not following God, just think confusion. That's the message that the writer wanted us to get. What I see in this, too, is now on this side of Jesus' cross, is that God came down then, and he came down in Jesus. And it was when Jacob, who fought with his brother Esau, because they were competing egos, right? They each wanted the birthrights. And Jacob steals it from Esau, and he's on the run. He falls asleep, and he has this dream. He dreams of a ladder that's extending from earth up to heaven, and coming up and down are angels. Well, what he's dreaming of is nothing more than a ziggurat. It's an access way. It's a staircase that's bringing the gods down to earth. And God was showing uh, Jacob, look, I'm with you. There's no separation between heaven and earth. I'm with you. But fast forward to Jesus, and he's calling his first disciples in the first chapter of John, and he tells one of them that he is that ladder that Jacob saw in his dream, and that 
God is ascending and descending to earth in and through him. I'm, I'm summarizing in my wording, but that's, that's the message he's giving us is that I am now that ziggurat, that tower, that access point. I am bringing God to earth. And it's no longer humans trying to do this, trying to make God in human image, but rather God became a human so that humans can become sons and daughters of God. We don't have to bring God down and make him like us so that we can understand him. God came down himself and became one of us so that we could understand him and then so he could transform us into the image of God again. See, in a way, the Tower of Babel had a concept, get God here, but they didn't want to become like God. They wanted God to become like them. Jesus comes He comes to the great human need who needs God. He comes down that unfinished Tower of Babel and he finishes it. And instead of the Tower of Confusion, he changes the language as he comes down and transforms us. He changes the language. Remember Pentecost? Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost after Jesus had just gone into heaven, the Holy Spirit comes down. Again, God comes down to us and he fills the early believers. And then they began to speak in tongues where Babel was about one language that became many. Pentecost was about many languages that became one. And in Acts 2, we see that there were Jews from all over the world. And Luke takes the pains to name every single region which they came from. And you look on a map and it's all countries around Jerusalem. And here they converge in Jerusalem after the death and resurrection of Jesus. Different languages. But they say, what's going on? We all hear the praises of God in our own tongue. And there at Pentecost, God is bringing back the understanding of a singular language. And this time it's not the language of ego, of how do we make this tower higher? It's the language of the spirit in which God is inviting us to say, how can we not build ourselves up, but grow ourselves out? Isn't that what God asked Adam to do? Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Grow outward. Isn't that what he asked Noah to do? Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Grow outward. Isn't that what Jesus, gathering his disciples to him, asked them to do right before he went up and the Spirit came down? He said, "Be go outward and grow outward and be my disciples to all the nations. God has always been more interested in growing his people out across the world rather than up higher and more impressive. It's ironic that the day of Pentecost happens right at the temple. It's there in the temple that the people from around the world are hearing the disciples preaching. Because the temple in Jesus' time was that structure which King Herod had poured millions of dollars in our money into making it one of the best temples in the world. 
Josephus, a historian of the time, an eyewitness, said that the gold on the temple was so extravagant that when the sun hit it, one had to shield his eyes from it. This was the structure of Judaism, the structure which for the Jews said we are so much better than the other pagan nations around us. The structure in which Israel wanted the nations to come flock to them to worship Yahweh in this structure in which they created a bunch of laws around it to protect it because make the structure awesome. And there at that structure, God transforms the people into a not build upward, but grow outward people who disperse out of Jerusalem and go into the rest of the world. And they, as they go, they're not into building newer and bigger temples that are beautiful and making people come and say, well, our temple's better than Zeus and Apollo and, and Asclepius. So come, you Greeks and Romans, and see our bigger, better temple. We've got, we're just doing the same thing in a better way. We have a better product for you. They didn't go out and do that. They didn't build up where they, they, they grew outward. And as they went, they just they got together humble gatherings of people who said, we have a different king on this world, and we're going to live by his kingdom. And they did that city to city, small in number, not very impressive in their structures, but there they were meeting and there they were continuing to spread outward. And what was significant about them? What brought people in? They spoke a different language. It wasn't the ego language. It wasn't me, myself, I. It was that they had one aim is that they spoke in we and us and together and community and commonality and that there's neither Jew or Greek. We see one race here. There's neither male nor female in the super divided roles that they had at the time. It's, it's one humanity. It's neither um, um, Jew nor Greek, rich nor poor. It's, it's money doesn't define your worth here. This is a whole new humanity with a whole new way of talking And rather than saying, let us make ourselves great, let us make a name for ourselves, let us make this tower, they realize that they are the tower. Not one that builds up, but one that is like a bridge bringing peoples together. They went from vertical to horizontal. And they said, this is where we're going to meet with God. In the humble places where we reach the least, the last, and the lost, where we're serving each other, where money doesn't define us. That's outward growth. That's horizontal movement versus the world, which ever since the Tower of Babel has been all about verticality, all about up and down systems, all about rank and obedience and power. This is what makes the church truly beautiful. It's not that we're trying to make ourselves a name, make ourselves great, but it's that we are willing to grow in a way that moves across the communities. And when you grow that way, no one is too tall or short to join. So we don't have to build ourselves up because in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul tells us that God has raised us up. We don't have to go to these all these advice things about how to make yourself feel better about yourself. 
I mean, sometimes there's a place for certain principles in those areas. But the secret to our success is learning who God says we are and that we were dead in our sins and trespasses, but God, who is rich in his grace and mercy, raised us up together with Christ. We don't have to build towers upward because we have been raised with Christ to his position. That's why we can come on earth and grow outwardly and not be concerned with status or how we look better compared to the world. Because we know who we are and we know that we've been exalted with Christ to the highest status in the universe and that we will rule and reign with him. But right now, Ruling and reigning does not look like the ruling and reigning we see as our examples. That's tower rulership. That's verticality. Our governments, even though America's a democracy, it still has its rank system. It still has its people trying to be the ego and the power and the domination. Then you look at other places around the world. It's everywhere. Christianity has the beautiful chance to be different. We don't have to strive to put another brick, one higher We can just keep going, oh no, one person this way, one person that way, outward, outward, growing the fellowship and the friendship. Because God is the one who raises us. So, brothers and sisters, let's not speak the language of ego that seeks to build upward. Let's speak the language of unity and spirit, which grows upward outward. And who knows what we will see if we're willing to grow in that direction. Father, thank you for being our example. That you came to earth, Jesus, And though you were equal with God, you did not consider that something to be used against us, to make yourself better than everybody else, or to to use its power to climb the social ladder. Use that instead to move horizontally as you wash foot after foot after foot and you healed leper after blind man after deaf man and you brought the despised of society like children into your lap you showed us a different way to grow a different way to live so free us father from the tyranny of the towers of babylon in our cultures and in our homes and in our lives and in our hearts that continually tell us that we have to be better we have to get people to respect us And help us instead to learn to live across toward others. Change our language, Father. Change our language. One day at a time. One simple act of service at a time. One thought at a time. And so, brothers and sisters, as we take communion...